It's just FYI, I think as I shared. All right. Hello, hello. Happy Wednesday. So excited to be here. And I am so excited about the guest here on the other side of the studio. So I just want to welcome everyone to the other side of the studio that was birthed out of my identity that I thought I had inside the studio door. So I was a master Pilates instructor for years and then COVID hit. So I step out of my doors of the studio and I'm going, oh, who am I in this new world? And how do I navigate you know, the work I do in this new way? And that is how the other, side, the other side of the studio was birthed. Um, it truly is me just navigating the space of helping women. I empower women that are mostly over 50 and helping them to rediscover and find that inner strength that we all have within us. So I'm so excited about my guest today, Brittany Storty. Welcome, welcome. And she is empowering women of all ages, it sounds like, but especially from your story. So welcome, Brittany. And I'm curious about Dr. Oz. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's, it's quite an honor to have any opportunity to speak. I view it as an opportunity to be of service to others and maybe to say something that strikes some, something in someone else. Um, so I'm from Rhode Island and I was born and raised here and I live in a community, very small town, small state, small town. And my father owns a very, um, pr pronounced business. Uh, he's a funeral director and he owns the funeral home. And so I was brought up in the funeral home. I lived there till the age of five and I am one of three. And, you know, growing up, I got, I had to see how people were remembered. And that became such a focus of mine that I had to be perfect because I wanted to be remembered as perfect, uh, kind, not causing any discomfort to anyone, even if that caused discomfort to myself. And being the oldest of three, I made up in my mind that I didn't want to be any trouble to my mom because she had so much to deal with with the other two. And I just wanted to be perfect. That was my big thing. And we were very much into image. We were the family that sent you the Christmas card at every single year with the matching outfits that looked like curtains. Let's be real. It was the 90s. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, but I was also the chubby kid out of the family. Uh, no one was chubby in my immediate family. And I went to the doctors when I was eight years old and he pulled my mother aside and said, you know, you really need to start watching what she's eating because she is overweight for her age and her height. And all I heard in that instance was there is something wrong with me. And that was the start of being put on some diets and I was forced to go on a treadmill at the age of eight a few times a week. And being the inner rebel that I am, I would go on the treadmill but make the sound with my foot, one foot, on the tre treadmill track so my parents could hear it because I was in the basement. So they could hear something on the treadmill. It just wasn't me. And um, But 
getting back to feeling different, wrong, like I wasn't enough, that continued all from elementary school to middle school to high school. I started having suicidal thoughts by the age of 12. And I told my mom, you know, something, something's not right. Some people don't think the way I think. And back then there were, there wasn't really an awareness for child, uh, like adolescent mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, well, everyone, ha- everyone has something. So what I heard was it wasn't worth bringing up again. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to stuff that down with more food, more self-hatred, because that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, and that continued up until the age of 16. I was very much overweight and I hated myself. I absolutely hated myself. And I was also an overdeveloped young woman in my bust. And kids are mean. Oh, they are flat on me sometimes, you know? And all of a sudden, I made up in my mind that if I just lose the weight, everyone is going to be happy. My parents are going to be proud of me. And I'm finally going to feel like I am worthy, like I am enough. And that switch flipped, went straight into bulimia, anorexia, diet pills, laxatives, you name it, in the disease of eating disorders, I did it. And I didn't stop. Within two and a half years, I lost over 100 pounds, became severely underweight. And I was in college, and I couldn't do it anymore. I, my brain functioning was not there. My body was shutting down. Um, my circulation, because my heart was getting weaker, was being affected and I was getting cold all the time. Limbs were falling asleep out of nowhere because it wasn't getting that circulation from my heart. There were some nights I would be walking home from work and just pray I would get home and not pass out. But it was all worth it in my head because I made up, you know what, at least I'm not going to die fat. Mm -hmm. At least I'm going to die skinny. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't call that being successful in my mind, but it was better. To me, it was better than where I was. Mm -hmm. So I had to come home because I couldn't handle college. And I was still convinced I had everything under control. Because I don't think I ever saw under control. Mm And I was eating lunch one day and uh, to keep my mind busy, I would often put on Dr. Oz around my lunch hour just to, you know, watch something. And of course, anything health related or getting skinnier related, I was all for. Mm -hmm. And so he mentioned something and I went on his website to see more about it. And there was a little column on the side asking people to write in about their experience with eating disorders. So here I am 19, not thinking anything of it. And I wrote in and to this day, I wish I kept what I wrote. But mm-hmm. It was so mindless that I didn't even think about it. Yeah. Two days later, I was called by a producer to go on the show. 
I remember telling my mom that night and she was like half asleep. She's like, what? <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> and, and I asked her to come with me because I was 19. I, I wasn't well. And my mom has always been my biggest cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And so we went to New York to record the show. And that's when I was introduced to three amazing, very sick women. Two of them have died of this disease, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my heart goes out to their families. And after the sh- at the end of the show, we were all offered a free ride to treatment uh, to Shades of Hope in Buffalo Gap, Texas, which is an eating disorder uh, treatment center and all addictions treatment center, but they specialize in eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And everyone said yes, and I said no mm-hmm. on national television. <laughs> I was the only one. And because I thought I still had it under control because mm-hmm. I wasn't as bad as two of the people next to me but I was still killing myself actively. Mm-hmm. And two weeks went by and I was doing my normal binge purge cycle. One of the times I threw up blood and this is the first time that had happened. I became afraid of myself. Mm-hmm. And even though I didn't know anything but my disease, mm-hmm. I knew whatever had to be there was better and maybe they could fix me because mm-hmm. in my head I had been told, you know, I was broken and mm-hmm. I needed to be fixed. So I went there and I was so scared as here I am like from, from Rhode Island to all the way to Texas, no family. But I literally told my parents two days before, I'm like, I'm going. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a discussion. Mm-hmm. And so I went and it was the be- one of the best experiences of my entire life because I saw people who were like me mm-hmm. and my therapist actually went through their treatment program, went home, got her master's, went back and practiced as a therapist. So this was the first time I'm seeing actual recovery mm-hmm. in someone who had something that I had. Yeah. Because I would, I was going to countless therapists, doctors, mental health professionals, and they were just trying to tell me what to do. I'm like, you've never been in my situation. You don't know what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. Why am I going to listen to you? Mm -hmm. But here's someone who was on the other side. Mm -hmm. And I went through there and not only did I learn that I wasn't broken, I was wounded. Mm -hmm. And I needed to heal. And I, that's where I grew up. And with, I went through their residential treatment, transitional and halfway house program. And that's where I learned to cook for myself. I learned how to live in recovery. And I stayed there from March, 2012 to November, 2012. And then I decided to come home because I had to get my life started. I know I had to go to school. I had to do blah, 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 blah. Because I made up in my mind that as long as I stopped, I would be better. Yeah. And I, that's all I took with me. I didn't continue. They're a 12-step based treatment center. I didn't continue that. Mm-hmm. 
because once again, I thought I knew everything and I had it under control. I did not have it under control. And uh, when I turned 21, that was like the green light for alcohol. And whew, I did not waste any time. I did not drink to be social. I drank to check out, to mm-hmm. numb out, yeah. get out. And within two and a half months, I totaled two cars. I was sexually assaulted. And after that specific event in my life, I made up, it was my fault and I didn't care what happened to me Yeah. after that. I didn't care what happened to my body and I had no self-esteem, no Mm self-respect because that was taken from me Mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to get that back, even if I had it at all. And that lasted until, first off, I lost everything in my alcoholism. Uh, my parents kicked me out, and rightfully so. I was a nightmare, and I was committed to my alcoholism, my drug addiction, because they went hand in hand with me. Mm-hmm. But it was being in that lifestyle, especially as a woman, mm-hmm. can be terrifying. Mm-hmm. And you're convinced that you're bad, and you're an addict, and you don't deserve anything because mm-hmm. you made those choices. And that lasted until April of 2016. And my mom texted me. She's like, have you seen your sister? Now, my sister had been struggling for a little while. She had to drop out of college because she was having anxiety problems and she stopped sleeping. Mm -hmm. And I knew in my heart something was wrong. Mm She was found five days later and she had taken her own life. And all I remember from her note was she thought she was the problem that couldn't be fixed. And this is someone who was a straight A student, very successful, great athlete, kind, the biggest heart you can imagine. And something got a hold of her and she didn't know how to get out. Mm-hmm. So I had to plan her funeral because she left clues that she knew I would recognize. She left her laptop password was when you say you love me. Mm-hmm. I knew that's what she wanted her funeral song to be. I knew she wanted sunflowers, just things because because I think she knew I knew what that felt like, and she knew that I would know what to look for. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was able to stop drinking for a couple weeks. And it's a miracle I didn't have seizures because the amount I was drinking was inc- incredible. And I went back to it. And for some reason, my body seemed to reject alcohol. I was getting really sick. Mm-hmm. And there was no scientific explanation because I was a very seasoned drinker at that point mm-hmm. I was a professional and but I still once again defended my alcoholism the only catch was my sister took my out I could no longer drink myself to death mm-hmm. myself and one day I woke up it was nine months later 
January 29, 2017, I woke up and I had this thirst inside me. Mm -hmm. And it was something different than I had felt before. It was a thirst for something spiritual and something greater than myself. Mm -hmm. And I was once again afraid of what I was becoming. And so I went to my first AA meeting and I didn't even say hi to anybody. I was in the back, you know, in and out very quick, but I kept going. And I also found bodybuilding. So why not choose another addiction? <laughs> you know, <laughs> anyone that knows bodybuilding knows like you almost have to be addicted to be successful. And so I stayed sober from drugs, alcohol. I rationalized my eating disorder in bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. And that, and I went all the way, you know, I went through with the drugs. I went through the meal plan, the excessive exercise. I did it all because that's what I thought I had to do. Mm -hmm. And I, and then 2020 hit, COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And that October, two weeks before my competition, they canceled. Now, this is after four years of working for this wow. one day, one day, yeah. dieting for 17 weeks, getting down to 5% body fat, literally getting to my level of perfection, or so I thought. Mm -hmm. And I was crushed. Mm -hmm. I felt like the rug, was the rug was ripped right out from under me. And I didn't know what to do. I went through my own identity crisis because that's what I placed my identity, my self-worth in. Mm -hmm. And I started eating. And once I started, I couldn't stop. Mm -hmm. Because part, part of it was a survival instinct in me because I was so depleted that I wanted anything I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. And that turned into self-loathing, self-hatred. So naturally I go back to what I knew comforted me Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to stop. And unfortunately, the people around me didn't know how to help me either. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very thankful for the support of my fiance because he is what I call him, what we call a normie in the recovery community. And mm -hmm. he has no addictions. And he made clear he doesn't know what I'm going through, but he's here and he shows up. And I don't think I would have made it without him. So I went back to treatment at Shades of Hope because I knew, because they were, they've been like family to me. I've kept mm -hmm. in touch with them and they gladly took me in and I had more work to do because in my adult life, of course, with trauma that I'd gone through, I had different things to work on. Mm -hmm. And then once again, I got out, I stopped. So I thought I was fine, I can do this. And I was working it at my dad's funeral home and going to school, really stressing myself out. Mm -hmm. uh, my father is also a narcissist. And with that, we, but, we were butting heads like not, nobody's business because I am a very empathetic person and a narcissist doesn't understand that and they will suck the life out of whatever 
they can that has that attribute. And I found myself, I was severely overweight again, and I didn't know what to do. I knew I couldn't go back to treatment because I logically knew what they were teaching. So this is where you, I had to learn how to take what I was taught and work it on life's terms. Mm-hmm. But because of the bodybuilding and the binging, mm-hmm. my stomach was stretched more than the average person. And so whenever I was on a meal plan, it was kind of setting me up for a binge because I was constantly hungry, mm-hmm. physically hungry. Mm-hmm. So I looked into options and I qualified for a low BMI study with a gastric sleeve sur- surgery. Mm-hmm. And I knew what I was doing was not working. And I knew I wanted recovery, but I felt like I needed this tool to help me get there. Mm -hmm. So I got abstinent two weeks before my surgery because you have to do the pre-op diet. And I have been abstinent ever since. And that was last August, uh, August 9th. And since then, it's interesting how when you get well, the people around you tend to either either love it or hate it. Mm-hmm. There, there seems to me no mm-hmm. in between. Right. I'm not really exactly sure why that is. <laughs> but my father seemed to not like it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, my body started to experience symptoms of stress. Mm-hmm. And I hate the fact that people don't understand that stress can kill. Mm -hmm. Uh, I started to lose hair in my eyebrow. Mm -hmm. Like half my eyebrow was bald, completely bald. And as a woman, when something happens to your face, it's, it's, oh, yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, And there were other problems happening, like Mm -hmm. migraines, irregular menstrual cycles, things that shouldn't be that were happening as a result of his stress. So I had to make a decision and I had to also make amends with my body for not listening to her. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was at this crossroad and I was in the uh, yearly review that we have every, every year. Mm-hmm. And my dad put in the number that, you know, I would get with my raise and all this stuff. And I looked at that number and I realized that doesn't even matter to me. And it was a great number. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. Great salary. Mm-hmm. I worked my butt off to get it. Mm-hmm. But it didn't matter because mm-hmm. I was killing myself in this job. And so here I am, 30 years old, no college degree. And I'm like, what am I going to (laughs) do? Especially because I was making really good money for not having a college degree. Mm -hmm. Or even with a college degree, that would be great money. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't about the money. And I'm like, okay, what do I know? I know recovery. Mm -hmm. I know how to help people. Mm -hmm. I know I have a story that people can identify with. And that's when I started looking into coaching. And after I was looking into it, I felt 
I still feel like this. I feel like I have this secret to life that allows clients to give themselves the permission to dream, to put themselves first for a change. Because I think especially as women, we feel like sometimes we are at the mercy of other people to ask their permission to simply be happy, whether we realize we're doing it or not. Mm -hmm. And throughout this entire experience, I have realized I am made for more, Mm -hmm. period. And I have never been happier. Yes, I still have stressors. Yes, finances are not ideal at the moment because it's the beginning stages of a a business. Mm -hmm. But I have this comfort, comforting energy within me. That lets me know I am exactly where I am supposed to be. And I finally have the courage to change the things I can around me for a better future for myself. Beautiful. Yeah. Brittany, what a story and what a gift. And, you know, I was listening to a book the other day, and I think it's called uh, the mountain is you or the moving mountains. I, I've got to get the name right. I'm just bringing this up spontaneously, but it is about, you know, the the challenges that we go through in order to uncover our true purpose. And it never is easy. So um, the gift that you have is now able to come out. And especially at a time where I feel so strongly, so deeply that there is a need more than ever for the beautiful voices like yours. Um, As I shared, you know, before we came on live is that I have five kids and all somewhere in the ages of of your age. And I hear them, I hear them. And I hear the difficulties and the pain and the hardships, the challenges, the you know, navigating in a world that is so broken and how can I find this mom, you know? And so hearing you speak just touches me almost to to tears, literally, and just hearing your story and how you are so boldly coming forward with what we know there are many, many out there that are sitting in silence and they need to hear. So I am so, so excited for you. And I'm so excited for the launch of the Bridge Coaching Services um, because there is such a need for it. There is such a need. And I just am so grateful that you came forward with your story. Um, And that has many layers, many layers of pain and hurt, but you look where you've come and it shows it shows you're just so beautiful inside and out and i'm just honored to have you here today and to have met you and um you know that's what is so beautiful you guys about uh the social world out there when we curse it interestingly we end up meeting the most amazing people um and that i find in you Brittany. so i'm so grateful to have you here thank you so much yeah the big thing when i launched the bridge. I was picturing where I was after treatment, knowing everything I have to do to Mm -hmm. keep it. Mm -hmm. But that's such a long list sometimes Mm -hmm. because we make it that way. And so I pictured myself being released from treatment on this cliff, right? 
and I'm looking across the way and I see recovery. I see mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But there's this huge gap where you know if you just walk, you're going to fall. Yeah. So you don't. And you go back to what you're used to or what made you more comfortable. Yeah. So I'm like, what if there was a service to bridge the gap between where we are and where we want to be. Love it. And I think there's such a need for it, especially for not only treatment centers, but for anyone that mm-hmm. has a challenge in their life that they feel like they want to conquer. Because it's so easy to be like, oh, just set a goal and do it. It's yeah. it doesn't happen yeah. that way for most no. people. Right. Right. You know how long it takes me to fold laundry sometimes? Yeah. Like- <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm all for, you know, I, I'm not totally anti-goals, but yes, you're exactly right. I mean, a goal without having the steps to get there, you know, um, is, yeah, is actually, yes, kind of setting us up for, you know, falling down and not being able to get back up. So, we are very much in the same space and the same way of thinking. And that's why I'm so, I was so resonated with you and your story. And, you know, as I shared earlier that I work mostly with women who are over 50, who have lost their identity. But what I'm hearing the most, and I shared this yesterday in a video is that, um, you know, what I'm hearing the most is that I'm fearing or I'm anxious about what I'm going to be when I'm 70, 80 or 90. I just hope I get there. But Lauren, I don't know who like I I just want to be able to get there. And it makes me scared because I'm afraid I'm going to be a burden to my kids or my family and or I'm not going to be able to walk and I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm hearing in my generation, this is a lot of what's going on. And I shared yesterday that it's hard for the 20s or the 30s to want to think about themselves in their 70s, 80s, or 90s. I wasn't thinking that. I was in the middle of you know, raising kids in my 30s. And I thought my parents were old at 50 and 60 going, no, I'm not even going there. I've got all these years. But as I said yesterday, it starts young, you guys. It really starts. It really in your 20s, we start to age. But in your 30s, absolutely is where you have an opportunity to meet with someone like Brittany, because this is where if you gain that anchor of of life and who you are and your purpose, and you can find that at an earlier age, just like if you invest, if you invest, you know, financially, and you let it sit there over those years, you're going to wake up in those years in a pretty decent place. But if we neglect ourselves, right and in starts again early then it makes those years more challenging so you know we can change at any time as we were talking last night um there is never in my view there is um there are no there are obstacles there definitely are challenges but there are no limitations that I feel that any of us have that will keep us from being the best of, you know, if we have to be cliche-ish, but well, the best version of ourselves. You know, who do I want to be when I grow up can happen even and in your 70s. So um, I just am so, again, grateful to have you here, Brittany, and, you know, spanning this across all of our generations and our ages. Um, just the importance of empowering women to 
really speak up and 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 be heard because it sounded like that could have been you know it's the validation of the pain that we all experience right and we shove it or we're told not to be like that you know look just be quiet and be pretty and show up and you know wear the dress and smile and that is just so damaging so damaging for for us females and guys too not just but yeah especially for women who really have been you know, shut down, if you will. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up too, because I remember being 16 and at one of my first therapy appointments ever. And she's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And all I said was, I want to be heard. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel, especially back then, mental health awareness was not quite there yet. It was being, the seeds were being planted with research and available opportunities. However, it was still, at least around me, it was very far behind. Mm -hmm. I feel like New England is very far behind. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, that's what I want for my clients, to let them know, I see you, I hear you, and I will never judge you. Beautiful. Beautiful. So how can uh, everyone get in touch with you? Um, I put your website up here. So for anyone that wants to capture that, but what would be the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, they can get in touch with me, with me through my email, Brittany Storty at thebridgecoachingservices.net. Uh, they can also follow my Instagram. It's building at building underscore the underscore bridge because building the bridge would, I mean, the full name was taken, but <laughs> you know, um, I also have a phone number that they can text me at. It's a business phone okay. and it is 508-492-5298. And it connects right to my phone. I can answer at any time. And if someone just wants to ask a question, please mm -hmm. feel free. Perfect. I've dropped your number. I've dropped Brittany's Perfect. number there, her business line. And um, definitely get in touch. And then what I'll do is I'll drop your Instagram handle in the chat, you know, once we close, once we close off. Um, so just everyone, just I know, just so grateful to have you here for all of you that have been watching. Grateful to have you here as well. Thank you for the comments. Um, these are, you know, Brittany has come with a very powerful message and I have been a mental health advocate for many years and support, you know, um, like the foundation of hope is our foundation here that uh, does mental health research at our big hospital, um, have been a huge supporter because we need to make a difference. And so once again, Brittany, thank you. Thank you for bringing your voice forward. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's another episode we'll call on the other side of the studio. And I will look forward to seeing you next week. And for now, just make it a beautiful rest of the week. Stay well.